And from time to time, when Pastor Phil uh, calls on me and asks me to, to share, uh, it's my privilege to do that. Uh, I work for a, a small organization of churches, um, and so I travel across Western Canada, uh, ministering to pastors and churches uh, throughout uh, from Winnipeg, Manitoba to uh, Victoria, BC. And so, but Willow Park Church is my home church, and so it is a delight to be here. Now, when I last spoke, it was in January, and we we're just starting that series that uh, Pastor Phil wound up last Sunday on prayer. And now we begin a series on uh, looking ahead to Easter and the journey to Easter. Um, in January, I had mentioned to you as well, and Pastor Phil had uh, encouraged me to do it again that um, in November of this year, I'll be leading a tour to Israel. And so we had a number of you who signed up the last time we talked about it, and if you'd like more information, my wife will be down here at the front. Uh, so we have brochures now that will uh, give you a day-to-day sort of blow, uh, blow, uh, blow of what's going to happen while we're there, and uh, prices and all those kind of good things. And I'm really working on Pastor Phil to be able to come and be part of our group as well. And so I think it would be an exciting adventure and, um, as we uh, listen to the set-free idea, that, uh, that idea of walking with Christ um, this tour to Israel has a deep impact upon our lives. And so I've done it a number of times. I've led tours there a number of times. And so if you're at all interested, please come and see my wife. She'll be down here at the front and has brochures. And uh, we have an email list now that will keep you informed as the date um, gets closer and closer to uh, November when we will be going over there. So that's just uh, encouragement for you. Um, let me pray for us. And then we will uh, dive into what God has for us this morning as we look at this series getting uh, ready for Easter. And we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through to 3 this morning. But let's pray first. Heavenly Father, we've had a wonderful time of, of being led by our worship team to praise you, to worship you, to adore you. And Father, we're so thankful for those who have those gifts and talents and abilities to, to lead us in that way. And now, God, as we open up your word, we ask that you would speak clearly to us, that we would, through the power of your Holy Spirit, hear your voice speaking to us from the truth of your word. And Father, we'll give you all the praise and the honor and the glory, because as we just sang, you alone are worthy to be praised. And so we thank you in anticipation, in the matchless name of Jesus, we pray, amen and amen. Well, as I mentioned, I travel uh, across Canada, by and large, for uh, a group of churches, and we had some national meetings two weeks ago down in Toronto. And uh, as I was participating in those meetings, I saw my phone started to vibrate, and I saw the name Roger on there, and I know Roger, and so I knew I had to take that call, so I excused myself from the meeting, walked out to a corridor, and quickly answered the phone and just simply said to him, Roger, what's up? And I heard his voice cracking and shaking uh, there at the end of the line, And I had been anticipating this phone call, and he said to me, Russ, it's Lisa, his 48-year-old wife, who had been battling cancer, and he said to me that afternoon, she's gone. We talked for a while, and uh, he asked if I would be willing to come and speak at her um, Celebration of Life Memorial, and we made some arrangements, took a day or so to, to rearrange some flights to get there. But um, I I said it would be my great pleasure to come. He said it was her wish that I would speak at that service. Now, Lisa had been diagnosed with this cancer just uh, about a year ago, and it was an aggressive form. It was in her mouth, and and, um, she battled it and fought it, and and the church uh, rallied around her, her church in Saskatoon. Um, They had prayers of of healing for her. They asked God to take it away. She asked for us that as well. Um, She started a a Facebook post or a Facebook page that she called Lisa's Little Bump in the Road. 
And if you were a, a member of that group, you got to journey with her. And it was here where she very transparently walked this part of her journey. She told us about the doctor's appointments in anticipation of them, and then she told us the reports after she had gotten out of the appointment. She told us about what it was like to sit down with her three adult children and, and share with them that the cancer was growing and, and things weren't looking good and the prognosis was not for a real long time. She talked about the pain that as the cancer continued to have its effect upon her, her life and her face, that uh, the pain would grow intense at times. And, and she talked very honestly in her posts about that. She asked for prayer constantly, and, and she shared about the, the opportunities that she had to talk about her Savior in the midst of these challenges. She was so open and so bold and so brave in so many ways that as I, I thought about that, I wondered, as I looked in particular at this passage in Hebrews chapter 12, well, how is it possible that a person can go through such trying, painful circumstances and, and live boldly, and live with a sense of joy, even in the midst of the pain, and live with a, a real sense of purpose, because what she said repeatedly was that this was the journey that she believed her Savior had marked out for her, and she was going to walk it. She was not going to shy away. She was not going to say, woe is me. She was going to embrace the journey and walk with her Savior. Well, this season that we're currently in is in church history time called Lent. It's a season from Ash Wednesday up to Good Friday, which is not that far away now for us. And it's a season when, when historically we've asked that, that we as, as God's people prepare our hearts to acknowledge that Jesus Christ went to a cross to understand clearly that there was a price that had to be paid, and he walked there to that cross. And then, of course, we get to move beyond the cross now because of where we live, and, and we go to Easter Sunday when it's the great celebration, right, which is just a few weeks away, and we will announce he's alive again. It's a great message. But that process sometimes is challenging and painful and difficult, well, I came across this quote from Walter Wangren Jr., who um, wrote in this little booklet about meditations for Lent, and, and I want to throw it up on the screen for us to, to just read and, and understand what... Um, let's go back to the first one. That's the second screen. Okay, here we are. So I just want, to he- want you to hear some of the challenges that sometimes happens in the midst of our lives, and maybe you're living here this very day. So Walter writes, and he says, The difference between shallow happiness and a deep, sustaining joy is sorrow. Happiness lives where sorrow is not. And when sorrow arrives, happiness dies. It can't stand pain. Joy, on the other hand, rises from sorrow and therefore can withstand all grief. Joy, by the grace of God, is the transfiguration of suffering into endurance and of endurance into character and of character into hope. And the hope that has become our joy does not, and then in brackets here, as happiness must for those who depend on it, the hope that has become our joy does not disappoint us. In in the sorrows of Christ, as we ourselves experience them, we prepare for Easter for joy. 
Now, that can be a challenging process. And I invite you, if you have your Bibles, to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to also have it up on the screen for you. But I want to read just three verses out of Hebrews 12, and then we're going to go back and check out some other things in the Scriptures as well. But in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer writes about the cross, and he writes about joy, interestingly enough. And listen to the, just the first three verses of Hebrews chapter 12. The writer says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight in sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, that's Jesus, consider Jesus who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And, and so let's just stop there and we're going to underline some things and put together an outline here to try and help us understand. The first part of the chapter says that we have this great cloud of witnesses and so here's the first part of the outline I want us to understand. Search for and follow good examples. Search for and follow good examples. When he says in chapter 12, verse 1, that we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, there's something I want you to clearly understand here. All right, The picture here is not of a bunch of people in heaven who have gone on before us, who are now looking down, sort of Orville, or a, a railing that, that would separate heaven from earth, and they're looking down and watching us sort of do our lives, run our races that are marked out for us. That's not the picture that's in Hebrews chapter 12. What the picture is, is that we have this group of people who have lived by faith and have gone before us and have sort of showed us how to run the race. We have a great cloud of witnesses, he says. Now, when he says that in chapter 12, he says, the first word there he says is, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and what that does is it connects us back to Hebrews chapter 11. Now, if you know your Bibles even a little bit, you'll know that Hebrews chapter 11 has been called the faith chapter. So let's pick it up. If, again, if you've got your Bibles there, I want you to listen as we start at verse 32. Because for 31 verses, he's been talking about different men and women who have lived with great exploits of faith. And then he finally gets to verse 32. And listen to this. He says, And what more shall I say? Because he's already been talking for 31 verses about this. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Verse 35, women received back their dead by resurrection. Okay, so there's a lot of victorious stuff in there from these individuals who have walked by faith. Now the tone changes. Same writer, writing about the same thing, walking by faith. And then he goes on to say, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sodden too, they were killed with a sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, they're destitute, afflicted, mistreated, all of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, 
though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Then he says, therefore, so he's told all these stories about men and women who have done these incredible things, and some who have stayed the course even through terrible circumstances. He says, therefore, since we are now surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, and he goes on to talk about what he calls us to do. So the message here is that we have people who have showed the way to us by how they've lived. So follow them. We have examples to follow. And so in our, our question, when I ask and I think, okay, when life is hard and the challenges are, are, our challenges are, are so difficult, how can we live victoriously? Well, the answer to that question from verse 1 is that we look to those who have already lived ahead of us. I look at Lisa and I think she decided that she was going to embrace the journey and she wasn't going to allow this cancer to sidetrack her to live less than what she could possibly live. And I see her as part of that great cloud of witnesses for me because I I knew her so well. I was her pastor for a number of years. And I think, God, thank you for that example that is there for me to follow. So today my encouragement for us from verse 1, is to look for those examples that are right around us. They may be your your friends, they may be your own family, they may be part of this church. And let me also encourage you that if you say, well, Russ, I don't have many of those kinds of examples, then here's my encouragement. Pray and ask God to bring those people into your life. He wants you to have examples to follow. Now, we have them in Scripture for sure, but I also believe we have them around us if we'll look or if we'll pray and ask God to provide them for us. Those individuals who go through the hard times, the challenging times, the rough times, and they hold their head up and they walk by faith and they trust God. The writer of Hebrews reminds us that there's a great cloud, not one or two, but a great cloud of witnesses who have gone before us demonstrating that living by faith is possible. Well, what's next? Well, he goes on to write that after he said that we've got this great cloud of witnesses, then he says this instruction to us. He says, so let us also lay aside every weight in the sin which so clings so closely. So the second part of the outline is make clear decisions about what's important to you. We need to sort of do some self-analysis here. We need to look inside. You see, walking by faith means that we focus. And the image that the writer of Hebrews gives us here is of a runner who's engaged, obviously, in a race, and what he does is he, he takes off anything that's going to hinder him from running the race. And so the ancients were, were uh, completely familiar with the idea of athletics and, and sportsmanship and that kind of thing. So this picture would not be a foreign concept to them. This idea of a runner getting ready to race wouldn't have uh, a whole bunch of, of things on. They would, they would come down to the, to the bare minimum of what they could wear in order to participate in the race. Now, when I was growing up, I grew up in, in southern Ontario in a town called Oshawa, and uh, my dad, when we were growing up, he had season tickets to our junior A hockey team, the Oshawa Generals. Now, the most famous hockey player who ever played for the Oshawa Generals was a defenseman by the name of Bobby Orr, um, one of the greatest, if not greatest, hockey player who ever graced the, the professional hockey scene. Now, when he was training in Oshawa as a teenager... He would run along the shores of Lake Ontario in the sand. Now, when you think about that, you think, well, I mean, that was not the easy road. 
That would be a lot harder than just running on some hard pavement or, or on some nice grass. He ran in the sand. Why? Because he was developing his legs to be as strong as they could be so they could be ready for the entire season and he could be fit for the task that was before him. He paid a price in order to be ready to do what he was trying to do to be one of the best hockey players ever. Now, athletes to this day, they have all kinds of training. They, they are so concerned about diet, they'll say no to all kinds of other kinds of foods in order to have their bodies ready for the task that they are training for. That's the image that the writer of Hebrews gives to us. He says that we're in a race. It's called life. And he says, so I want you, on to, I want you to focus on those things that, that maybe you need to say, it's time to lay some stuff aside because it's not helping me run the race. And I can't tell you what those things are, That's a question you need to ask yourself and God, your father, and say, God, what are the things in my life that maybe today I need to think about laying aside, putting out of the way so that I can more effectively run the race that you have made out and marked out for me? So let's go back to our question. How is it possible to live by faith when life throws huge challenges our way? Well, one of the ways that we do that according to Hebrews chapter 12 is to look at our own lives and say, what's hindering me in my race? And then we just had that advertisement for set free because the writer goes on to say, and the sin that so easily entangles us. In other words, he's saying that if you're going to run the race and and sin's there, well, spiritually speaking, that's not going to help you run the race. You're going to get tangled up. You're going to get messed up by the sin. And so as we heard from the testimony on the video a second ago, set free will help you do that examination of your life and ask the questions, are there sins that I'm not even maybe aware of that are causing me to not run as well as I could in my life with Jesus? the possibilities now begin to be a lot bigger when we're laying aside the things that are slowing us down or hindering us and getting ready to really run the race that Jesus has marked out for us. So we look to the examples around us. We make clear decisions about what's important in our lives. And then thirdly, in verses 2 and 3, there are actual really good reasons as to why we focus daily on Jesus Christ. It says in verse 2, After we've done these other things, looked at the great cloud of witnesses and laid aside the things that are tangling us up, verse 2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, that's Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So there's some good advice here about why it is that we would take the time to regularly, daily focus on Jesus. Now, if you've been in church for any length of time at all, it's possible that you're thinking, oh, I know what he's going to do now. He's going to tell us that we need to have a daily quiet time with Jesus. And that's good advice. I'm not going to deny that. I'm going to support that and say, yeah, I think that's accurate. But this past week, I was visiting with a pastor who was telling me that he was working with some of the people in his church who had shared with them, him that you know, they had this idea of a daily quiet time. They'd get up in the morning early, they'd read their Bibles, they'd pray, and then they'd go throughout their day. And, and he says the confession that they shared with him was that they never thought of or engaged with God at all for the rest of the day. And he said, Russ, I think there's something missing 
in their approach. And I thought, well, that's fascinating. And so I thought, well, how can we change this? And we discussed some different things about how, yeah, it's great to start your day with God, but it's not so great if we don't have him throughout the rest of the day. So what's the, what's the idea? Well, how, what's the picture here? Well, I think we need to ask God here to help us see him and his work throughout our day. Now, we go to our, our regular jobs, our places of employment, our, our, our schools, whatever the case may be. We, we go in that process of doing the normal things of life, but with a different set of eyes and a different heart. Because we're saying to God, God, I want you to show yourself to me through the everyday things of my own life. And so maybe it is when you're driving and you see that homeless person asking for money, that all of a sudden you realize that person actually is loved by God. I'm going to pray for them because God has brought that person across the pathway of my own life. That teenager that you bump into, that place where you're working or that place where you're maybe just going for business, and you realize, man, that kid's just got a grumpy face and what's their problem? And all of a sudden it clicks in your mind that, no, actually that's the person who needs to know that Jesus Christ loves them. And so I'm not just going to walk by them thinking grumpy, cantankerous teenager. I'm going to say something positive into their life. That evening when you're having dinner out in the restaurant and you see that single mom who's serving you and you realize this is probably her only source of income. And you think, God, I I want her to know that there's this God who's so much bigger than her own life and her own issues and her own problems. And, and so I want to be generous in the gift that I give for a tip at the end of it. Maybe if there's an opportunity, I want to say something to remind her that there is a God who loves her passionately. You see, we live everyday normal lives, but with the understanding that our God has plans in those everyday normal lives. And I just want to encourage you. God is so big... And he loves you so much that every day that you start, that he gives you grace to take a breath and to live another day, he actually has plans for your life. I think that's pretty exciting. I I think the possibilities now of my life actually meaning something and counting for something grow exponentially when I dare to start my day by putting my hand in God's hand and saying, God, I don't know what you got for me today, but I'm with you. I walked into Starbucks this morning, just after 6.30, to go over my message again. The first thing, the girl behind the counter says, so what interesting things have you been doing this weekend? I didn't plan that. I said, well, last night I was at this church and I was talking to them about some stuff. And she said, well, why'd you do that? I said, well, they asked me to. And I said, I'm going to do it again this morning. And she says, well, when you do that, what do you talk about? I said, well, you know what we're just about coming up to. And she said, what? I said, Easter. She goes, oh, yeah. I says, well, there's this great story in the midst of that that I have the privilege of sharing with people last night and this morning. And she goes, well, that's kind of interesting. Again, just an everyday, normal, routine thing of life where I just wanted to go and get a cup of coffee and go over my message. And God said, thanks, but I've got other plans. I want you to talk to this barista for just a few moments and maybe open up her eyes a little bit to the fact that there's this God who loves her. I I just was blown away again this morning by the simple routine things of life that my God invites me into. 
He says that we are called to look to the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And so what I want to encourage you to this morning is to ask God to help you see him in the routines of your life. But it's interesting that when the writer writes about Jesus, he says, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Now, what's he talking about there? I think it's fascinating. Because if we read that again, we realize he didn't say that there was joy in the cross. No, we know that from a human standpoint, the Romans had mastered this excruciatingly painful way of taking a life. It was awful. And it was only reserved for the worst of criminals to die that way. And that's the way in which Jesus, our Savior, died. And it doesn't say, the writer doesn't say who for the joy in the cross. He says who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Well, what was going on there? Well, the cross was going to provide the door of opportunity for you and I to have a relationship with our creator. Jesus knew what was on the other side of the cross. He knew that we had this, once he went through that process of enduring the cross, that there was going to be an opportunity for you and I to embrace joy in a way that we have never humanly embraced it before by virtue of his death on the cross. Now, when I spoke at Lisa's memorial, I, I spoke from Jude verses 24 and 25. And the passage there is the doxology. And again, if you've been in church for any length of time, this doxology will be familiar to you. It says in Jude verse 24, now to him, that's Jesus, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, now listen to this, and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. And it goes on to talk about how we praise him. But listen to that again. To the one Jesus who is able, so he has the power and the authority, to present us blameless. In other words, when we walk into heaven after we've taken the final breath here and we start eternity with Jesus, he's the only one who is able to present me blameless. Not because of me, but because of what he did on the cross. Who for the joy set before him so that he could welcome his children into eternity once they embraced what he had done on the cross for us by grace through faith. Then we ask Jesus to be our savior because Jesus knows at the end of our days he's going to have the opportunity to present us blameless. And listen to what the word says. The word of God says, and with great joy. So when I spoke at Lisa's memorial... I said, do you realize that when she took that final breath earlier this week and Jesus welcomed her into eternity, not because Lisa had lived some kind of super spectacular spiritual life, no, rather because Lisa had put her faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that Lisa was presented that moment by Jesus into heaven, blameless and with great joy. Wow. Wow. That's fantastic. You see, Jesus endured the cross because he knew the joy that was going on the other side. That he was going to take you and I when we ask him to be our savior and to present us ultimately blameless, faultless, before the Father in heaven with great joy. I think that's an amazing picture. So in response to the question, how is it possible to live our lives in the midst of challenging great circumstances, painful circumstances, it's possible when we live by faith in Jesus Christ. That there is joy both now in the midst of our pain, because Lisa embraced 
the joy of her journey, even in the pain. And there is such unfathomable joy when we take that last breath here and we step into eternity in the very presence of joy himself, Jesus. It's amazing. Two stories as I wind this up this morning. A few weeks ago, I was speaking at a men's retreat in southern Manitoba. And I did eight messages over a process of a few days. And, and one man that was there, his name was Jim. And Jim, over the process of a couple of the days, unpacked his story for me. Jim was in his 70s, and he went back and told me how that as a young married man with small children in his home, he was backing his car of his driveway, and, and he ran over a five-year-old boy, killed him. He was devastated. It was an accident, but he was devastated. He didn't know how to cope with the pain, so he turned to alcohol. And he began to drink just to deaden the pain that he felt in his soul. And as the weeks turned into months and the months turned into years and he was just trying to cope with life, and through the alcohol he ended up meeting a woman who wasn't his wife and they had an affair. And his wife ultimately found out about that and and she said, I've had enough, and she walked away from him. So Jim has an accident, Jim turns to alcohol, Jim has an affair, Jim loses his marriage, and then his four children decide they don't want to have anything to do with their father. And they walk away. Decades go by in Jim's life and he's alone. He slowly began to reconnect with a couple of his kids, but as he sat there that weekend, he said to me, Russ, he says, I'm just useless. And I said, Jim, no, that's actually a lie. You see, because that weekend, I had the privilege of pointing him to Jesus Christ and the cross. And I said, you see, we serve this God who had his son die on a cross for us so that when you and I make mistakes and we do the wrong things and we sin, we have this God who says, I hear you, and now that you're confessing it, I will forgive you. And I said, Jim, if you would confess that, and he says, I have over and over again. I said, Jim, you're forgiven. And you need to lay this aside. And so from Hebrews chapter 12, I looked at the process of, of saying, don't allow this to, 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 to uh, cause you to stumble, but rather lay it aside, Jim. And so that weekend, we, we had a great time of talking about how it was possible because of the grace and the goodness of God. I flew to Toronto on Sunday night that weekend. On Wednesday, I had a call from the director of the camp. And he says, Russ, do you remember Jim? And I said, yeah, I had great conversations with Jim. He said, last night he had a massive heart attack and died. I thought, what an incredible privilege it was for me to spend the last weekend that he had on earth pointing him to Jesus Christ the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross so that men like Jim could find forgiveness. The other man that was with us, he was a grumpy, cantankerous man. I wondered throughout the weekend why he was there. He would come and he would sit in the, in the sessions and he'd have his arms folded and he would never have a Bible in front of him and we had great worship and he never ever sang any of the songs and, and, and I wondered time after time, why are you even here? And I found out that one of his friends had been asking him for years to come and, and he finally agreed this year to come for the first time. And so Saturday night he comes up to me after my seventh session of speaking and he says, uh, I have a question for you. And he's a blunt, gruff, cantankerous man. I said, what's your question? He said, what would you say to a man who hasn't read his Bible for 50 years? And I thought, well, he's blunt and cantankerous. I'm just going to be blunt back. I won't be cantankerous, but I'll be blunt back. I said, I think it's probably time that you opened your Bible. I said, but let's back it up 50 years because obviously there's a story here that 
something has transpired that caused you 50 years ago to stop reading your Bible. And he shared with me that he was an American citizen who had been um, involved in the Vietnam War. And, and he said while he was over there, he had many days where he was praying and he saw God move in incredible ways. But he came to a moment in time when he asked God for something, he says, and God didn't show up. He says, that particular day I denounced to God. I said, wow. And so we talked about that for a while, and I said, well, you know, if you and I had a relationship together, and you did something that I didn't think was appropriate, and and I was offended, whatever, and I denounced you, I said, if I was wanting to get that relationship restored, I think I would have to come back to you and, and ask for forgiveness and apologize. And so he just uh, thanked me, and he left. So the next morning, we're going to start the last session. And just before that, he kind of gives me a nod that he wants to talk to me. And so we go over to a separate room, just him and I. And, and he says to me, hey, I uh, just want you to know something. I said, what's that? He said, well, last night after you and I talked, he said, I got things right with God. And I said, that's fantastic. And he said, I just want you to know that... Um, God and I are okay again. And he gave me a fist pump. He went into the service, and I noticed that there was a Bible in front of him that morning. And I noticed that he was one of the louder singers in the service that particular morning. And I thought to myself, what an incredible privilege that God would engage my life with this man who for 50 years had been angry with God, but in that particular weekend, God in his grace said, I want you to travel from Kelowna, B.C. to southern Manitoba because there's a man there who needs to be reminded once again that I went to the cross so that he and I could have right relationship. And he's not in a right relationship right now, but I want him back in my family. I want him back reconnected with me. And I had the incredible privilege of walking and walk, uh, just walking with that man that weekend and seeing God in his grace draw him back into a positive relationship with him once again. Maybe as you sit here this morning, you know there's something not right in your relationship, or you don't even have a relationship with Jesus. This is God in his grace engaging your life with mine this particular day, pointing us both once again to Jesus Christ, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. And he wants you in relationship with him. Let me pray for us, and then the band's going to come and wrap up with a closing song. Father, we do thank you for your grace. We thank you that we have models to follow that you've given to us that the writer of Hebrews reminded us of this morning. We thank you that you call us to lay aside the things that aren't helping us in this race so that we can run more effectively and efficiently. And you also, Lord, have called us again to look to Jesus. He's the author, he's the perfecter, he's the one who endured the cross, scorning his shame because of the joy that was set before him, knowing that he would have that opportunity that as we by faith trust him to be our savior, we can enter into an eternal relationship with you, our father. Lord, for those this morning who maybe just need that reminder or maybe this morning need to engage Jesus for the first time, I pray that you would draw them in by your good grace and the presence of your spirit that we would know walking by faith is possible no matter what's in front of us. And we'll give you all the praise and the honor and the glory, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen and amen.